Well, good morning, Grace Hill. It's an honor and privilege to be with you today. Thank you so much, Pastor Sam, for the kind introduction. Uh, I, I was the professor of all of the pastors here, and I can assure you they did very well in class. So I'm very proud of them. And special shout out to Pastor Daniel Shem. I was reminded this morning that he took six classes with me during his time. What a glutton for punishment. So thank you, Pastor Daniel. And again, it's great to be with you this morning. The topic that we're going to talk about is why the church needs good leaders. And I think the reason that this is an important topic is because almost at every level, whether it be nationally or through the academy or governmental or even the church, there's been great failure on this level. Leadership has not worked. Failure has become prevalent. Toxic leadership has become the terminology that's come out more often than not. Spiritual bullying, all of these things. And why is that 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 happens? I just came out of a two-week doctoral cohort on leadership. We did 80 hours together, and part of it was trying to figure out what's the definition of leadership. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to explore that. I want to find that we can define it and refine it so that we will not only ask the question why, but we're also going to ask the question who, and then finally with the question how. So today we're going to ask these important questions of why the church needs good leaders by looking at the manual of life and godliness, the Bible, God's word. Would you bow with me as we begin our time together? Father, we thank you that we can gather together. Thank you for Grace Hill and this wonderful church, for the growing children's ministry and education department, for the congregation and the provision of this site, for future elders, and for the current pastors who are here. Thank you that you have put your hand and given favor to this ministry. Continue to do so as each person here walks closely with you. And as I handle your word now, help me to be careful and clear to communicate your truths. And we ask that your spirit would help us to enact these truths in our lives. So thank you again. We commit our time to you. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to start by reading a passage to you, one that's familiar. It's from 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read that to you, then I'm going to go through an outline, and we'll look at our three points together. This is God's word. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. This morning, if I can give you a preview, our outline is threefold. We're going to ask the question, why? Why does the church need good leaders? And what? secondly, we're going to look at who, who should be these leaders. And finally, we're going to camp our time remaining in the how. How do we do this? Again, there are many reasons why we need good leaders. But let me just give you three in the context of the church. Here's the first one. God is excellent in all that he does, so we should reflect that as followers of him. Did you get that? God is excellent in all that he does. And because of that, we should reflect that in all that we do. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do all, whatever you do, do your best for God and no one else. And as we understand that, whether it be as a student in college, in grad school, whether it be as a worker in the marketplace, whether it be a domestic engineer, a housewife, whatever it may be, we are called to be excellent. And as we do that, all glory goes to God. Amen? He's the one that enables us. He's the one that empowers us. He's the one that exemplifies for us what it means to be godly and excellent. We are called throughout the scripture to be like him, to be godly. And that's probably one of the things that's missing in all the different elements of leadership that we've seen that have become an epic fail. Let me give you a second reason why the church needs good leaders. It's because the Bible holds leaders in the church to a higher standard. The Bible holds leaders in the church to a higher standard. In the passages of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which are listings of virtues and character qualities, all of those are for all people in all churches. But for leaders, they are to be exceptional and especially good at those things. They are to stand out so that as we look at the leaders, we can follow them and say, okay, this is a good leader because they follow God. Did you get that? They are good leaders because they have led themselves to follow God. A good leader will be a good follower of God. And as we understand that, then that will help us to say, this is a good leader. And if they don't follow God, then this is a bad leader. So the Bible is very clear on the criteria of what a good leader should look like. And we'll get into that a little bit more. And here's a third reason of why the church needs good leaders. It's because good leaders should create good ministries. Did you get that? Good leaders should create good ministries. I, I wish I could say good leaders make good ministries, but I put should because it doesn't always happen. It is possible that good leaders have bad ministries. And accidentally, it's possible that bad leaders once in a while have good ministries for a short period of time. Long ago, before most of you were born, I was in a church that I prayed daily, help these leaders become good leaders. There's a few problems with this church. The elders, some of them were not Christians, so that was a problem. So I prayed for their salvation. Just to be generic, please help Mr. Kim to find Christ. And then I would pray that they would stop 
saying these bad Korean words, which fortunately I didn't understand. And God answered most of those prayers, but not all of them. And God in his goodness and grace actually delivered me out of that in a painful manner, but one that was very life-learning for myself. Good leaders should create good ministries. I think we can go on and on and talk more about why, but let me go to the next point, and that's who. Who should be a good leader? My first answer is this. A spirit-filled, Christ-centered, godly people. Notice that I have uh, called upon two-thirds of the Trinity, spirit-filled, because that means that they are going to be led by God, and Christ-centered as an example, which we have four Gospels to read about, so that we would know how he is and who he is. And again, I didn't just put males here. I put godly people. I've been shifting a little bit on this. I think I'm a little bit more open to male and female leadership who can and should work together in conjunction or what the term is in complement to one another. But if I could be a little bit more specific, there's a, a writer, his name is Juan Sanchez in his book, The Leadership Formula. Look at this definition that he gives. He uses the term biblical leaders, but he also, if you look at the chapter, means good leaders, godly leaders. Here's what he writes. Biblical leaders are men of godly character who maintain biblical convictions, lovingly care for the congregation, and display a sufficient competency in handling the Bible. Let me break that down for you. There are five traits that he says makes a good biblical leader. Their character, their conviction, their care, their competency, and their credibility. Now, that's a tall order. But going back to my first point about why, it's because we are to reflect God, who is excellent. And as we exemplify excellence, we have to look at the instruction manual, the word of God that tells us how to do this and who to be. But as we go now to the third question of how, I want to give you a number of points that hopefully will be practical for you as you think about the future. And the future will be that some of you may be called as elders in the church. Many of you already, and I love the little kids in the back. This is great. I tell my congregation, we're starting to have babies at our church too. Let them cry. That's what babies do. And let that be training for the congregation so that we would know how to be godly aunts and uncles. That's leadership too, right? In the family of God. As a single, as a married person, as an older person, as a younger person. I would encourage you to understand the breadth and the width of God's plan for leadership. It's not just in the church. It's families that comprise the church. And as you understand this, now we get to the all-important question how. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 is the passage that we're going to camp on. So let me give you several points. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do a quick study on the character of Peter. Peter was quite an individual. He had quite a lot of highs and a lot of lows. His life pretty much mimicked that of a wild, rapid roller coaster. Let's look at the first aspect of how to develop Leadership, good leadership. First letter A, it will take time. 
It will take time. And again, let's look at Peter's life. He had some high points and incredibly low points. Let's look at a high point first. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 16. This is where Jesus and Peter are having a conversation. And Peter has an incredible epiphany. He has a breakthrough. He says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, "Eh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You understand that the disciples up to this point were clueless. They were chilling with Jesus, but they had no idea who he was. They thought, this is a weird guy, you know, he dresses kind of funny and he says all these things from the Old Testament. Who is this guy? And here's the breakthrough moment. Peter says, you are the Christ. Christ means the anointed one, the one who's called. It's a, it, Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. It's a title, right? One who saves, who is anointed. That's what Jesus Christ means. And in so doing, Peter understands this. And he says, you are the Christ. And if you read further on, 16, 18, he says, you are correct. Upon you, Peter, I will build a church. Incredible statement of affirmation from the Savior. But A few verses later, as high as he's gone, he plunges immediately at a low point in Matthew 16, 21 and 23. This is where now Jesus is revealing that he's going to have to suffer. He's going to have to die. And Peter wants to get in the way of the cross. Not a good idea. Look at this, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Stop here. Could you imagine this? Rebuking Jesus. Hello. What is he thinking? He's rebuking Jesus. And here's what he's saying. He says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. Did you see what's going on here? Peter is trying to cancel the cross. That's really serious, folks. I hope you understand this. And then (laughs) Jesus has the best line possible. Look what he says in verse 23. He turned and said to Peter, "Get get behind me, Satan. Youch. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Could you imagine if Jesus called you Satan? I don't think that's very fun. But you see, Peter was going against Jesus and had the agenda of stopping him from going to the cross. That would have been a satanic influence. And thus, Jesus, discerning that, calls him out. So again, we have to understand that there are going to be high points and low points in the maturation of a leader. I understand that in the future, Grace Hill will have elders. God bless you for that. That's going to be great. But can I remind you about something that illustrates this point about how it takes time? Elder is not just a status position. 
it is also indicative of age. So whether it be like a well-seasoned wine or a pot roast that is well-cooked or a person who might have salt and pepper hair, whatever it may be, elder means it takes time for them to go through the maturation process. Pray for that. Pray that God would help you as you are maturing because it takes time to be a good leader. Let's look at a second point about good leadership, and that's this. Leaders make mistakes, but God restores. Leaders make mistakes, but God restores. Again, let's talk about Peter. He did something pretty heinous. He denied Jesus three times. Not just in front of the crowds, but in front of a small slave girl who said, hey, aren't you Peter, that guy who answered Jesus? Oh, no, no. And he bolts. What's up with that? It was cowardice. He was unprepared. But what I want you to see, what's even more amazing, is that despite the failures, look how Jesus restores. In John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, Jesus reinstates Peter that if the three denials, he says to him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Why is he doing that? He's trying to make sure that Peter understands the task that is ahead of him. Look at this passage in John 21, verse 15 and following. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He was perturbed. Because he said to him again the third time, do you love me? And then he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know what was really interesting? Not only was the three times of denial given the three-time reinstatement, but the, uh, the uh, encouragement and the exhortation was to do something specific. He said, don't go back into your leadership. Go back with the people. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Care for my sheep. Which leads to my next point. Good leaders are relational equals. Did you get that? Good leaders are relational equals. In my leadership cohort that I taught at Talbot for the two weeks, the one word that I probably said over a hundred times is the word relational. Leaders are relational. In 1 Peter 5, 1, take a look at this statement. And I put this in bold and italics. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So this is Peter, the high and mighty Peter, the head apostle. And Peter's saying, look, when he writes 1 Peter 5, he says, I'm going to be among you. 
And rather than be hierarchical, he says, I'm going to be your fellow elder, and then I'm going to be a partaker. Here's a simple statement that sums up all of this. Ministry and leadership is about people work, not paperwork. Did you get that? It's about people. You're not leading a pile of paper. You're leading people. That's why in most leadership definitions, whether it be Christian or marketplace or out of the 250 definitions of leadership, almost most of them have some element of influence or relationship embedded within the definition. And let me just say this. The one who came up with this definition is God. Isn't he smart? He's brilliant. And so what does God do? How does he lead us? He sends his son Jesus to come and dwell among us. So now we follow what? Christianity, Christ. We, we understand the message of the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves. And as saved people, we follow the Savior. He models godly leadership for us. One, because he's God. And two, because he gets it right. And so when people try to redefine leadership and say, well, it's all these gimmicks and you know, the status and pastor shoes or whatever it may be, all I can say is epic fail. Because it strays from the word of God. God wants good leaders to be relational equals. And again, when I say equal, I really emphasize that. Again, Pastor Thomas, Pastor Sam, Pastor Tim, Pastor Dan, they're great guys. But they really know better than you. They went to cemetery, I'm sorry, seminary. But that just means they have an extra degree. That's just one notch on the thermometer. It's no big deal. They should know better, and they are better. And I can say with confidence, I'm thankful that they are leading you, Grace Hill, as a church. Because I think they are relational. I think they are godly. And God has been preparing them over a long period of time to where we are today. That leads to our fourth principle. Good leaders lead lovingly and willingly. Lovingly and willingly. 1 Peter 5.2 says this. Shepherd the flock of God, again, that is among you, right? Here's the relational part. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That phrase, shameful gain, it's interesting. In other translations, it says sordid gain. Basically, it means not for the money. And let me just be really clear. Your pastors are not doing this for the money. They would do it for other, they'd go to other places if it was about the cash payouts. But they're going to be incredibly rich because of their stock in eternal rewards which will be paid out on the other side of heaven. Good leaders lead lovingly and willingly. You know, one of the interesting things that you'll see is with kids, especially younger, like children, and youth ministry. Youth ministry is really hard to do. But one of the best things that they can pick up on is your attitude. They know intuitively, very quickly, if you want to be with them or you just have to be there. And so one of the things that I would exhort you, and again, as the volunteers are being called to the announcements, that you would think about this, that you don't have to do this, you get to do this. 
because it's a calling from God to lovingly and willingly lead children, which is another important facet of ministry. Good leaders lead lovingly and willingly. And let me just say this. People can tell if you are loving and willing and if you're not as well. Let's go to the next point. Good leaders are humble and exemplary. 1 Peter 5.3, it says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Did you get that? Not domineering, but being examples to the flock. I'm older, or as my boys would say, I'm an old head. Um, what is interesting is back in the day, that kind of leadership was applauded. Different generations led differently. And so if we were to take a time machine and go back, you would say some of the people who lead were toxic leaders. And I'll admit that's probably true. And again, no names here, but I'm just saying it could be your parents. It could be the government. It could be tyrannical youth leaders who barked out commands at you. I don't think that's excusable, but here's the point. They didn't have good examples to look at, to follow. My prayer for you and for me is we would have a reset. That we would repent, retool, and renew ourselves back into the scripture so that we would no longer be like that. That would be a thing of the past, but we would be healthy, godly, loving, and humble leaders for today. And if I could just boil it down for you, be like Jesus. That's all we have to do. And if you're still not sure what Jesus is like, start with reading the Gospel of John, and then Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke. There's so much that we can look at just by looking at Jesus and gleaning from how he was as he interacted with people. I said the Gospel of John first because in the Gospel of John, it's known for Jesus' interview. He interacts with so many people in the Gospel of John. And in so doing, he's truthful, but he's also gracious and kind. And so look at that passage as you lead and as you grow. One last statement from 1 Peter, and that's this. Good leaders look to and follow the example of Christ. Good leaders look to and follow the example of Christ. 1 Peter 5, 4 through 5. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I've been teaching now at uh, Talbot School of Theology. This will be my 30th year. And as much as I've enjoyed being with the students, one of the greatest uh, benefits is being with older godly men who have mentored me. This has been a lot. Last two years has been a very sad time because many of those men have retired. And I think there's a little pressure because now I'm the old guy, which is big shoes to fill. But the benefit was this. They didn't just teach me. I watched them. You see, the kind of leaders they were were not just taught in the classroom. It was caught by how they were in between class and after class. 
and even during class, of how they would deal with people. And if you have the benefit of watching people to shadow them, to follow them, and if they follow Christ distinctly, then you should look at them and mimic them as well. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are there godly people in your realm, in your sphere, in your influence that you could just look at and spend time with and mimic them because they're godly? Let's bring our time to a close now with some application. Number one, and this is for you, congregation here at Grace Hill. I'm going to ask you, first of all, to pray for your leaders. Pray that they would become what they should be in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, the writer says this, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. One of the scary things about being a leader is one day we're going to stand before Jesus and we have to give an account. Hopefully he will say, well done, Thomas, good and faithful leader, servant. Well done, Sam, good and faithful servant. Well done, Tim. Well done, Daniel. Well done, and fill in the blank. But a lot of that's going to be required for your prayers. I share with my congregation when I speak at other churches. We don't do it too much, but I'm going to be here, and the next week I'll be up in Seattle. And I ask a number of people, hey, would you pray for us? Not only just for safety and health, but pray for impact. You know, I get to be with you one time, and hopefully the word of God will go deeply into your heart and your soul. Here's the exhortation, church, and the application. Pray for your leaders. Pray for them by name. Pray for them. If you see an area of weakness or something they need to grow in, pray that God would reveal that and that they would grow in that area. Here's a second thing. Number two, if your leaders are godly, then practice following them well. So you know what leadership is. You know what discipleship is. There's a third category. It's called followership. It's the art of following well. Believe it or not, leaders are supposed to be good followers first. I mentioned that earlier. They follow God. And if they follow God, and that's clearly evident, then you as a sheep and the shepherd are to follow them well. Followership is a biblical principle. And as you do this, may God be honored and glorified. Third and final application. Support your leaders with encouragement and appreciation because they work tirelessly. If you didn't know, October is Pastor's Appreciation Month. I share that in my classes and people are in shock. They're like, what? There's such a thing? It's been around for 25 years. Did you know there's Pastor's Wives Appreciation Month too? It's April. So again, there's plenty of Pastor's Wives to appreciate. I tell the story that sometimes appreciation happens only on their departing Sunday. You've seen the scenario. Maybe you've been a part of it. The pastor goes up. He's ready to give his final thoughts. Open up for sharing. A person goes up and says, Pastor, I've known you for 20 years and I never said this. Thank you. 20 years. I guess better late than never. I guess we can argue that. But what if we were always thankful? What if we were always appreciating? 
Believe it or not, as a pastor, and I say this on behalf of all pastors, sometimes when we preach, we just go, oh, that was a bomb. No, it wasn't the bomb. It was a bomb. I bombed. And so that's why pastors go through what's called Monday morning depression. And I've had it. I'm sure all the pastors here have had it as well. What if you just gave a nice note, a text, a message saying, hey, that encouraged me today. Thank you. It's that simple. It's free of cost. If you have social media, which I'm guessing most of you do, would you please support them and encourage them? We're going to close our message with one central truth. Here's the sum of everything I've been trying to say today. Here it is. God calls leaders to a higher godly standard in order to lead his body, the church, well. One more time. God calls leaders to a higher godly standard in order to lead the body, the church, well. I'm going to ask you to bow your head now as we take some time to close. And as we close, I'm going to ask you to pray with me for one specific topic. And that is that God would continue to sustain as well as raise future leaders here at Grace Hill. You know, I'm a big fan of this church. And whenever someone says, what's a good church in the Orange County area? I always recommend Grace Hill first. Because I trust the leaders here. I hope and pray that you would communicate that clearly and explicitly to your leaders. But now we have the opportunity to pray for them. Go before God in his throne and say, Lord, protect our leaders, sustain our leaders, help our leaders. Church, would you pray for that right now and then I'll close this with a prayer.